You're listening to Rights Up, a podcast from the Oxford Human Rights Hub. My name is Gautam Bhatia and I am a postdoctoral research fellow at the University of Humboldt. In today's episode, we talk to Professor Roberto Gargarella, professor at the University of Buenos Aires and senior researcher at the National Research Council, CONICET, Argentina, about the drafting of the new Chilean constitution. Professor Gargarella, thanks so much for joining us on the Oxford Human Rights Hub podcast to talk about the um, Chilean constitution drafting process. Uh, now, as far as I understand, it's been about a year since this intensely participatory process has been going on. And we now have a draft constitution, which will then be streamlined. Uh, and that streamlined draft will be out on July the 4th. And then in September, there'll be a, a nationwide referendum uh, to adopt it or, or not. And I, I've been following this uh, process with great interest for many reasons, historical interest and of course, current interest. Um, but I wanted to link this a bit with, with your really compelling work on Latin American constitutionalism and the idea of the engine room, um, because your argument that contemporary constitutions often give us a catalog of rights, but unless the way in which a constitution organizes power reflects in some way that catalog, those rights will remain ineffective. And one thing I see is that this Chilean constitution has a huge list of, of rights, you know, progressives dream in certain ways. So I guess my first question is, from your perspective, have they also looked at the engine room? No, that, that's for me a very important question. But let me say something, some, some uh, clarification. First, that I, I, I think there are many important reasons to vote in favor of the constitution in spite of the problems that the constitution includes, uh, among others, the, the problem of the engine rule, which is a common problem in all Latin American constitutions. So in a way, this, is, this, this constitution is going to reproduce those problems as it happened before with the previous constitution produced by the Ch- uh, Pinochet's regime. One, one thing, additional thing about that, the 1980 Pinochet's constitution have been changing a little during these years, but still remain in place with many of the problems that it included. The first one, and I think it's the most important, is about its uh, legitimacy. So it lacks democratic legitimacy, and that is absolutely uh, uh, problematic because people cannot become proud of the constitution and, and cannot feel identify with the constitution in a very significant way. Then it included many other, say, say restrictions to the, to the coming regime. When, when the main drafter of the Pinochet constitution completed the draft, he said openly, because he didn't find this uh, shameful, Jaime Guzman said in 1979, if I don't get it wrong, he said, we are writing this constitution so our opponents, basically the left, cannot do certain things because we are changing the, the, the rules in ways that will make impossible for our adversaries 
to do what they would like to do. So, so that was the open purpose of the constitution. And even though many of those restrictions were lifted, still it's a constitution that include many significant uh, uh, problems, both through the, the things that the text expresses, but also extremely serious omissions. One very important regarding social economic rights. Of course, if you just include a, a very long list of social economic, cultural, multicultural rights, human rights, well, you, you can complicate certain things, but not having certain rights recognizing recognized, that also creates important problems. So, so it's mm. very important that the new constitution recognize certain rights that were not recognized before and that recognize, for example, the existence and the rights of indigenous people that were not present before. So, so before talking about many of the problems that we can find in the constitution, I wanted to say this in order to, to to intervene in a discussion that is very much present today because there, there is a very strong conservative opposition to the constitution. Mm. And I, I don't think they have good reasons to say that. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I did see that it, it seems a bit of touch and go right now. The, the polls show it's, it's quite close. Although the approved camp is gaining uh, you know, as, as you get closer, so, but it's still, it's still fairly close. So, so if, if you want, we, we can go to your, to your question now, but I wanted to clarify yeah. that before. So yeah, we can now go to the engine room point. What is the engine room argument? The engine room argument is a little bit more complex. It's, it's of course that you need to, if you, if you change in a certain way uh, the, your list of rights, typically extending the list of rights and going for a, a list of rights that is more say, uh, social or, or democratic in its, in its content and in its principle that inspire it, well, you should do the same with the engine room, with the, with the organization of powers, because if not, that part of the constitution start working against or not in favor the list of rights that you expanded. So, so that's part of the argument. But the more substantive point regarding that is particularly important, not only, but particularly important in Latin America, which is that the, the, our structure of powers come from the uh, late 18th century or more clearly in Latin America from the mid 19th century. And that means, uh, uh, and it's not that we need to quarrel with the past or denounce our founding fathers, but, but, but that means that they, that structure of power uh, typically express the view of a conservative elite or, or a liberal conservative elite. And, and, and that's very serious because they, Clearly, they designed the, the constitution having in mind certain assumptions that we uh, repudiate today from, today from a democratic point of view. Yeah, um, and and so so to, so with this with respect to this uh, draft constitution, one thing that I noticed was that there is a certain kind of devolution or decentralization of powers. They have created autonomous communes. So the, the new constitution doesn't do anything on anything relevant regarding the organization of power. No, that, that's, that, that's not true. It does certain things. So uh, you mentioned one very important point, which still we need to see how it's going to develop and how it's going to be uh, uh, enforced in practice. I mean, what laws are going to uh, come to, to, to make it possible in practice. But one has to do with the 
decentralization or re regionalization. It, it creates a lot of polemic, but, but uh, uh, I think that, again, taking into account the very centralized and, and I would say in a way autocratic uh, uh, authoritarian uh, organization of powers in the traditional distribution of the, in the, the territory, the ge geographical constitution, it's, it's important the direction, I mean, to, to put the, the constitution in the direction of a more decentralized regional project. When we, in the, at the national level, are going to, I don't know, create new laws for thinking about federalism or changing the way that we distribute resources among the different provinces or states, it's fine that we consult all of them. But another thing is, I don't know, we are going to discuss abortion or we are going to discuss an economic policy. Then you, you need the opinion of all the different states and the agreement. Mm -hmm. that, that's, I would say, is an anomaly. So the new Chilean constitution tried to change that. And even uh, the Chilean draft, they have a Senate that is quite, I would say, in line with the old one. So, so in a way, my pity, my, my, if I am disappointed, it's, it's not because they, they went so far, too far, as many people say, but because they, they didn't go as far as they should have. No, but, but, but again, I mean, it improved a lot. It even changed the engine room in certain ways, which are fine. And, and, they, and they include the recognition of rights and groups that they, that they, they should have recognized many decades ago, and, and now they, they will be. So, so, so the, there are many interesting things, even though in my favorite uh, uh, space or place, they, they, they didn't do everything I would have recommend them to do. Right, uh, I, you know, I, that's really interesting. And I, I want to um, focus a bit more on your point about the public participation provisions and you know, the recognition of the indigenous groups and, and their right to be consulted, uh, because one point that you make in your latest book is, of course, this whole idea of democratic distrust and how the history of constitutionalism has been that you get the people in to vote and then you just get them out until the next vote. And in the, in the middle, you just eliminate all other forms of, of control, external and internal, and that the right to vote cannot bear the burden that you, know, you, you place upon it as just the one mechanism of, of control. And in that case, of course, this is very important. Um, but you also mentioned in the book, and this is also something I've read in other, other books as well, uh, that the record when it comes to implementing public participation in Latin America has been somewhat mixed. It's still implemented top down. And so in countries like Ecuador and Bolivia, where the provisions are great, but when it actually comes to say an extractivist you know, dispute where indigenous people want to exercise say a veto or you know a consent then the government tries to you know wriggle out of its obligations that it itself had put into the constitution so i was wondering if you if you see the chilean process going the same way because of course there's one dispute over copper as well so they haven't nationalized the copper and that's been one controversy yeah, yeah. so i was thinking that do you see a risk that these great public participation provisions might mm -hmm. in practice be diluted as they arguably have been sometimes in other countries. I see your point and I agree with it. And so, so I, I also want to, to thank you for, for the careful reading of, of my text and, and the, the, the good question that I'm taking. But, but one, one, one uh, clarification is, I don't want to sound hard against the new draft because I'm going to talk about a problem, which is a problem that is affecting 
world constitutionalism. Yes. It's not that they, they, we have a problem with Chile and so, oh, they, they, let's blame them or, or, or accuse them because of what they did or they didn't do. No, I think that they, they are reproducing a problem that is consistent all around Western countries, which is that they, they do not open proper venues for, for political intervention uh, or in the best case, which is a bad case, they, they conceive of participation as those magic instances where you want them to press a button and say yes or no to difficult or complex uh, questions. So, so, so yes, the, the, this problem is not going to be solved now, but, but what, what, what is the main problem is that um, it's in a way I would say surprising that um, we, we are still living under these very restrictive political systems, uh, which basically um, assume that the, the authority and the political authority is and has to be only in the Congress and the executive and with the control somehow um, from the judiciary, but, but they, where the people, I mean, they, they are not invited to, to intervene in any significant way. And they basically uh, left to us, common citizens, just one institutional uh, bridge, which is the periodical vote, because all the bridges that were uh, assumed or imagined or, or, or uh, recognized in the 18th century or, or beginning of the 19th century, including the functioning of town meetings, the, including the, the right to recall, including mandatory instructions. I mean, they, they, they could have been good or bad devices, but there were many different bridges between the people and the representatives. So, so in, I mean, as a result of the kind of uh, constitutionalism that, that came to prevail, I mean, we, uh, uh, we burn all those bridges and we only have this. But, but it's not only that we have uh, this only bridge, which is a periodical vote. In one way, things are now worse than before because we have a climate, um, uh, which is a climate defined by democratic empowerment. So, so where people demand the right to intervene, the right to say, the, the right to, to have a say in things that matter to them, and it, we do not have the mechanisms. I have two, two more questions before we conclude. You've written extensively about the history of inequality in Latin America the last 200 years. And one point you make is that one reason for this is that constitutions very consciously avoid the social question. Uh, and I was wondering if you think that the Chilean constitution is, actually does very well on that regard, right from the gender provisions. It actually grapples with the social question yes. head on and, and you know, does a lot of good things with it. So, so it's not that they, they did nothing or, or is insignificant. They, they did interesting things. For me, in many instances, is well, I mean, uh, it would have been so easy to do much more, but, but what they, they did is important. And, and, and one, one more thing about just reserve to Latin America. At the beginning of the 20th century, there, and, and that you see through the writings of, of uh, people like Joseph Schumpeter or what was the, the trilateral commission in the United States and the writings of particularly Samuel Huntington, there was the recognition of, of what I am saying and what I call in the book as uh, um, these uh, situations of uh, democratic dissonance. No, so it was very clear for them and, and in Huntington, this was 
I would say, very lucid analysis, he said, hey, we have to be aware, we are going to have an extreme crisis because we are facing this situation. We have the society that surrounds the constitution is totally different. We have this, what they call at that time, this sobrecarga de demandas. No, it's an overload of democratic demands that the system is not able to, to receive and, and, and channel. So, so there is a, an explosion that is going to happen. And what they recommend was, well, given this tension between our restricted constitutionalism or constitutional structure and those broadened uh, democratic demands, demands we, we had to uh, lessen or to control the, the, this democratic explosion no, that is coming. So, so we, we need to restrict democracy in a way. So, so today the problem has aggravated, and I would say the response is not again to try to control the democratic demands, but to change constitutionalism in order to recognize the the, the, the place that we as citizens deserve. No, that, that that really puts it into the historical context and the and the tradition that this is in a certain sense located within, but also carrying forward. And I think that that's really a good context, both where the Chilean constitution is coming from and, and where it's it's hopefully going. My final question is a slightly personal one, which is that for, for many of us around the world, um, the story of uh, Salvador Allende has been uh, very inspirational. Um, my my father, when I was when I was a kid, told me about that story, and um, and uh, so in that sense, watching this has been very emotional. And and you know, many of us we we just see it as in a certain way taking forward that legacy that was very brutally interrupted. And so I was wondering if if you perhaps see it that way, or if you think that in some ways after a forty year you know, very violent hiatus. In a certain way, this is carrying forward that torch both in Chile and in Latin American constitutionalism more generally. Yeah, no, it's, it's, a, it's a nice point. Um, I, I don't want to say more than what I am, I don't know, able to, to, to prove, but, but I tend to, to agree that there is, that there are some interesting continuations, but, but I would put it this way. Um, I, I usually don't talk about political culture because for me it's very difficult to, to define or, 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 or to give empirical support to what one says when talk about political culture. But 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 there is, I mean, but, but there is an ethos no, uh, mm. that is different in, in all our countries for, for different reasons. And in Chile is, is interesting because, because it's also in terms of political culture there are some particularities. And, and so um, among the members of the, the convention, you find remarkable characters. I, I tend to idealize perhaps, but, but then there are, there are uh, objective notes. No? So for example, and, and this I, I saw with my, my eyes when I, when I visited the convention, uh, uh, people who are working, I mean, days and nights. And, and uh, when I arrived there, for example, I, I, I was going to meet a group of friends who, who were participating in the convention at nine in the morning. Well, that day, and this was an, a normal day, they, they work the whole night and, and they work until six in the morning. My friend, my best friend, received a call from, from a public media or radio at seven o'clock. So he slept one hour, he woke up and they say, okay. And then we met and then they, 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 they were receiving 
much less money than what they were receiving in their, in their jobs, for example, at the university, and they couldn't pay their advisors, and the advisors were working with them for free. So this thing of, of um, public commitment, no civic commitment, that, that, that's what we call civic virtue. And so, uh, yes, I want to, to, in a way, to respond affirmatively to, to your question, saying, saying that um, the, there are remnants of this wonderful political culture that you still find in Chile. Oh, those are some great insights. I hope other people also enjoy that, but I enjoy it. I'm sure they will. And and one thing we can tell you is that all of us will be watching very closely and with uh, with great hope uh, for the referendum on the constitution. And you know, we really hope that that something good will happen. Rights Up is brought to you by the Oxford Human Rights Hub. The executive producer is Megan Campbell. This episode was produced by Gautam Bhatia, edited by Christy Calloway-Gale, and hosted by Gautam Bhatia. Music for this series is by Rosemary Allman. Show notes for this episode have been written by Sarah Dobby. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you like to listen to your favorite podcasts.